Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I am a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. My practice specializes in providing fact-based strategic and risk management advice to clients that are buying, selling, or growing the value of companies and their intellectual property. Brady, we're sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Our topic today is, should I form a company advisory board? The Business Development Bank of Canada did a neat study a while ago showing that companies with advisory boards enjoy stronger growth than those without. And uh, you can look that study up on the internet. Inter interestingly enough, um, there's actually not a lot of, of empirical study that's been done on the impact of advisory boards, yet there's a lot of interest in them um, as well. And, and in addition, I've learned over the years that I've been doing this, um, whatever this is, that a lot, of, a lot of people have a misunderstanding of what it is that an advisory board does. And, um, but I think it's, it's something that's on people's minds. I know of companies that have never considered advisory boards now that are now exploring that question because the world has simply, as we all know, has changed so much from what it was nearly two years ago now that companies need an outside perspective or at least feel that they would benefit from an outside perspective to understand how to survive and thrive in this, in this new normal. And so joining us today is Karen Robinson-Cope of Mara6. Mara6 is an advisory and consulting firm that helps young companies and entrepreneurs identify needs, develop scalable business models, and drive innovation, strategy, and revenue. She especially enjoys driving customer and shareholder value. Karen Robinson-Cope is a visionary and inspirational leader who takes ideas in disparate terms and teams and builds great companies. As evidenced by her successes as a CEO of multiple early-stage, fast-growth companies and numerous boards, she can identify a new market opportunity and then develop a clear strategy to quickly become a market leader. She is a decisive leader who is not afraid to take risks, appropriately utilizing strategic financing partners and developing sound financial metrics to keep new initiatives on track. She has been recognized numerous times over the last 20 years by multiple organizations for her excellent leadership skills. In three, in three prior companies where she was CEO or board member, Karen was able to successfully build great companies generating tens of millions of dollars in annual revenue, drive new markets and industries, and provide shareholder, employee, and customer value. Karen holds a Bachelor of Science in Political Science and Economics from the University of Redlands 
and she serves on several boards of directors where she is helping to identify new opportunities, drive innovation, and expand business glo- businesses globally. In her spare time, she and her husband, Rick, also a CEO, like to travel to out-of-the-way places, experience wild adventures, and mentor young entrepreneurs. Karen Robinson-Cope, welcome to the Decision Vision Podcast. Mike, it's so good to hear from you. So before we get started, I I have to share with you something that I don't think that I've ever told you, but I've told numerous other people, and you need to to be let in on it. You actually taught me one of the one of the best lessons I ever learned about valuation. And it was years ago when you and I were sitting on a panel together and somebody asked about valuation. I chimed in. I said something, I don't know if it was smart, dumb, or somewhere in between, but you said something which I've never forgotten. And I don't know if this is your original thought or not, but I attribute it to you happily. And that is that you can name any valuation that you want, as long as I get to name the terms. And someday I'm going to do a podcast on that topic exclusively and maybe try to cajole you back in. But I now use that. I now use that all the time when I teach classes, advise clients, whatever, um, whatever the context, it comes up all the time. And I make sure to give you full attribution for that. So before we get started, I wanted on this public forum to thank you for that bit of wisdom because it, it really has, it really has made me a better advisor and better practitioner. Well, I appreciate your kind words. You know, I've, as many years as I've been doing this, and you and I've been doing this together for many years, I'm, I'm more convinced than ever um, that terms are so critical. And I've had some great successes where the valuation may was may have been really great, but the terms were not, and vice versa, where the valuation was off the charts, and yet the terms weren't. And I can tell you that it's all about the, it's all about the T, the terms, the terms, the terms. So I'm glad you've been able to use that because I find it so valuable. Well, it just comes up all the time, right? And, and I, I promise everybody in the audience, we actually will cover the promise topic today. But, but I, you know, in, in particular, as I see unicorns come to market, and, you know, one of the things you, you, you recognize, and I, I suspect you sense this as well, not all unicorns are created alike. And, and some unicorns are legit unicorns, and some unicorns got there because the founders felt like they wanted or needed that headline number and they gave away the store in terms of terms so they could go to market with that headline number. You are so correct. And I, again, you see this more and more. Um, quite often, again, it's very exciting. When I first was raising money and Mike, you and I think even met back then when I was first raising money in my first company um, and we had our first valuation was a couple hundred million and then it got to a billion dollars and we were so excited. And I got to tell you, that the terms is what it's all about. And I've seen it again and again. If you don't fully understand what that cap table looks like in those contractual terms, um, you can be blown away when you're thinking you're having a great exit. And by the time the founder's counting their pennies, they finally, it's only pennies because they've given it all, all the way through the terms. So you're exactly correct. It's a great topic. And you and I should have that conversation again, definitely over drinks or on a podcast. Uh, maybe both. I mean, we're not FCC regulated. Sounds like a great idea. <laughs> um, all right. So let, let's let's dive into it because our audience is expecting us to cover advisory boards. And so um, can you let, let's start off as I do with most shows. Provide us, please, with a definition of what an advisory board is and, and how is an advisory board different from other kinds of boards, such as a board of directors? 
What a great question. I get this asked this all the time. Let me start by saying a board of directors, um, contrary to what you may have read or heard, is really a it's got a legal and a fiduciary responsibility. It, it literally is responsible for representing all of the shareholders interest. Uh, con- um, compare that to a board of advisors and a board of advisors has no legal, has no fiduciary. They're really there to advise. And I think it's important to recognize if you've got investors that are expecting a return, then it's important that you legally and from a fiduciary perspective, make sure that you have directors that are representing the interest of all your shareholders. However, if you own the company 100% or you are, it's a tightly controlled company, then a board of advisors may be the appropriate direction for you. I like to say, and this is another one, I think Mike, you'll enjoy this. I like to say that a board of advisors can help you opine. <laughs> you ask the big questions. They talk about esoteric. They talk about the big picture. They talk about strategy. But when it comes right down to it, all they're doing is giving advice. Compare that to a board of directors when they literally have a fiduciary and a legal represent a legal responsibility to ensure that the shareholders' interests are protected. So they're very different, and I would suggest have a very different role. So let, let's. I'd like to riff, riff riff on this. I'm going to kind of tear up the script here a little earlier than I normally do because I think that distinction you just made is really important. Because it, my observation, please correct correct me if you think I'm wrong, is that because of its nature, a a a board of directors in many ways is going to have an incentive structure that is fairly defensive in nature. Um, whereas a board of advisors might be able to encourage more risk, encourage more of a, an expansive offensive nature because, because there is no fiduciary responsibility. You can kind of, you can, you can afford to dream a little bit bigger, if you will, and encourage more risk taking. Whereas perhaps a board of directors, because of that fiduciary responsibility, and nobody ever gets sued for taking too much money, but you sure can be sued if you don't make if you, if you lose a lot. Is there that kind of dynamic there between the two? Is there that kind of different personality, if you will? Absolutely, and that's why I think many executives, and we'll talk a little bit later about the program that I actually developed as a nonprofit organization to help companies develop board of advisors. Think, I think you said it so well. Think about of a board of advisors is almost like spitballing. You can kind of sit around, brainstorm a little bit. Their job is, I literally mean this word, opine, to think about the big picture, think about what could, what couldn't, why, why not. Uh, It's not to tell you, it's not to ensure that you do it. It's really to get you thinking about it. Whereas a board of directors has a very defined legal set of responsibilities. And part of that is to make sure that you manage risk. So, I think another distinction is is kind of the relationship with the founder and the CEO, right? And, and I think we're just kind of expanding upon that last part of the discussion, which is, you know, an advisory board might be thought of as a resource, but a board of directors could very easily be simply defined as the boss of the CEO. I think that is so well said, and that is exactly correct. When you own your company 100% or your it's tightly controlled company, you might want some advice, but bottom line, you're responsible for those decisions. Con- um, conversely, when you have a board of directors, the CEO reports to the board of directors, and they therefore, in most cases or many cases, 
um, have the ability to actually fire the CEO, even if you're one of the largest shareholders. Um, so it's a very different mentality and you're correct. You look at it one, and I think you said it really well, Mike, one way is to kind of think big. And one way is to think of all the things that could go wrong and let's make sure we manage against them. Very different perspectives. Yeah. And, you know, you know, from my vintage anyway, that maybe the best example of a board firing a, a CEO is Apple's board firing Steve Jobs. A hundred percent correct. Which, which he said, by the way, interesting. He thought that was actually one of the best things that ever happened to him because it made him a much more mature, a mature leader when he came back. Absolutely. Because as you know, once you take on shareholders, it doesn't really matter um, what you want. It matters what's best for all the shareholders. And especially when you have multiple rounds of funding and in each sub subsequent round, as you said, we talked about earlier in the conversation, there's different terms for each one of those. And you as a CEO, it's if you have outside investors, it's incumbent upon the board to make sure that every one of those shareholder groups and shareholders is being treated fairly. Whereas if you own your own company, you can make decisions. And with a board of advisors, you can make decisions that are in your best interest that may not be in your employee's best interest. It may not be in your customer's best interest. But again, if you don't have outside investors and you don't have that outside board, you have tremendous flexibility. And like Steve said, as a board of directors, I think it, I think that it really helped him to, again, not only be a mature, more mature leader, but obviously help him to, you know, um, unbelievable what has happened to Apple over the last 20 plus years, an amazing story. And part of it, I think was because Steve came back as a much more um, thoughtful, um, uh, much more thoughtful leader. Yeah. And he realized that, you know, he realized he had friction and he realized that Apple was no longer sort of his personal playground. Right. And, and, that does force you to think in a different way. And that, that frankly, that's what a board of directors is supposed to do too. Absolutely correct. Whereas a board of advisors is really, again, I don't want to say it encourages the CEO in their, in their worst um, proclivities, but I think it does, uh, again, allows providing advice allows you to really think outside the box and do some what ifs. So since we've identified now that, that a board of directors and a board of advisors serve two different two different purposes and really have two different personalities and responsibilities. Is it out of the question that a company might have both? Absolutely. And I think that's a great question again. Um, and part of it is the legal and the fiduciary responsibilities. Part of it is, and I think you said it so well, your question a few moments ago about risk management, but I also think that think of it is almost like um, the advisory board is there to, as you think about your dreams, how might you be able to do that? Which is, again, board of directors would take that same topic and say, okay, what could go wrong? How do we mitigate against that? How does this improve overall shareholder value? It's almost the, uh, the board of advisors almost gives the CEO or the executive team a chance to almost role play or, you know, do a trial pitch, if you will, and think about what may, might happen. Remember, when an executive team or CEO is presenting to the board, they're literally being um, evaluated potentially for compensation, potentially for other opportunities. Whereas an advisory board is really there to help you dream about that, help you think about it and bring in that necessary uh, expertise that you might not have in your executive team. So let's drill a little bit down, you know, to this because 
I, I think in in some cases it may seem strange that a a, a CEO founder or an executive team that maybe they found one of the reasons they founded the company in the first place was not to have to be answerable to anybody would suddenly choose, right, to give up, if not their independence, but at least sort of share the wheel, if you will, a little bit with or share the sandbox with somebody else. So what are the benefits that you typically see that advisory boards offer that are attractive to companies? Great question. And I think, again, and you and I have both been uh, entrepreneurs and both CEOs and so forth, and you think about it, and you're running so hard, you're so involved in the business, you're thinking about how do I sell, how do I collect, how do I build, how do I deliver, how do I manage my supply chain, you're so focused on so many things, especially early on in the in the um, company's um, uh, life cycle. Typically, what a board of advisors can do is they literally step outside, you almost think you have your own little bubble as you're the CEO and you're the executive team and you're running 24 hours, 28 hours a day, you know, nonstop. And you really don't have, I like to say you focus on the urgent because that's what you have to do. You have to worry about how am I getting my customer to pay so I can pay my employees. And that's an urgent issue. Long-term, is that an important issue? Probably shouldn't be. And so I like to say that an advisory board can help you think about the important, not just the urgent. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and uh, something I mentioned on other podcasts before, there's a there's a third dimension to that now, at least that I've heard of that I learned through a TED talk a while ago, which is impact. Um, and I think one of the things that a board can do also is is help guide an entrepreneur or a team to make to ensure that whatever time or investment they're making in X, that X is also not only addressing something important, but also impactful. Absolutely. Great comment. Meaning that it has a long, has a, has a long-term, not just, not just, not just a long-term outlook, but long-term and sort of fundamental implications. Absolutely. Great. And that's a great comment. The other thing typically, and, and again, we think about entrepreneurs as young and you and I both know that's not the case. Entrepreneurs can be any age, but quite often, um, especially in an early stage company, they can't afford to get the um, best. Potentially they can't afford to get the best talent out there. Um, they may not be able to get, if, if you're in a um, in a uh, software company, you might be able to get some good software, but you may not be able to get the best person in cybersecurity or the best person at e-commerce. And quite often what an, um, what an a advisory board member can do is bring in that really kernel of information that you, that you or expertise that you need that you couldn't afford to get. And what you'll find, especially in a city like Atlanta, and you and I have talked about this before, Mike, in a place like Atlanta, successful people really do want to give back. They really do want to help this next generation. They really do want to help entrepreneurs succeed. And I think you'll be very surprised to see so many successful entrepreneurs or corporate executives that are more than happy to come to give back, especially in an advisory board role, because they don't have the legal and the fiduciary responsibilities um, and the headaches that come with being a board of director. So. Um... Let, let's say somebody listen. I mean, I think this will be the case. Somebody who's going to be listening to this in a couple of weeks when we publish it is is sort of taking inventory about maybe themselves, their company, their team. What are some signs that a company might benefit from a from an advisory board? What are some triggers that might get a wise founder to start thinking in that direction? Great question. 
So I think the first one is you're kind of stuck and you're trying to figure out what to do next. And again, what one of the things that I will say, and again, um, I look at it from both being an advisor as well as a board of directors, but being an advisor, but also coaching companies on this. You've got to be, be a CEO who's willing to listen and learn. If you are not in a position, if you're a position where you think you know all the answers, if you're in a position that you don't think you need any help and you're just adding a board of advisors to check off a box, wrong answer. Um, for you to get a really good board of advisors, you need to be you need to be coachable. And you need to be in a position where you say, here's what I need. I, you know, I'm kind of stuck here. What do I need to do to go to the next level? Second thing I think is when you're thinking about going into a new market or changing, um, kind of changing direction. Again, um, if you've got both an advisory board and a direct board of directors, it's almost like the advisory board is an opportunity to kind of brainstorm. I call it spitballing to think about what could happen and to kind of think through the ramifications and help you to solidify your plan before you actually present it to your employees, your shareholders, et cetera, your board of directors. I think the third thing would be if there's some regulatory and in this world that we live in, there's so many new regulations coming on on a regular basis. It's hard to keep up with them. And so if you want to understand, again, I'm not talking about replacing your counsel. That is not what we're talking about. This is not expensive free, expensive advice that you're trying to get free. It's really about that word I use opine. But if you know a very dear friend of mine is on the as the CEO of a very large uh, real estate firm. And she and I were um, together uh, this a couple years ago when we were kind of brainstorming about the impact that regulatory could have on her. And again, her lawyer gave her all the issues. Her lawyer told her, here's the legal issues that are coming. Here's the regulatory issues. Here's what the law and the regulation says. Our job was to brainstorm about it and say, well, what could that mean? What might that mean for agents? What that might that mean for, um, you know, contracts? So does that make sense? It's a kind of a different approach than your paid advisors will give you. And, and you know, that actually segues nicely in the next question, which is, be, which is that I wonder if some, in fact, I, I think this is true because I think I've observed it. I think that that some founders struggle with the difference between uh, or the distinction between an advisory board and paid advisors, right? And what, what you can expect of one versus the other. And I wonder if you see that too. And if so, uh, you know, where, where can, can you help the listeners understand where the distinction, where do you draw the line where you might be, you might be either asking too little or asking something that, your professional advisors maybe ought to defer to the advisory board and vice versa. Great, great question. And I, I know I've said this word now twice and I don't, I will promise I won't say it again, Mike, but it really goes back to my friend, Fran Dramus is the one that told me about this, this word opine. I just think that really goes right to the heart of what an advisory board, their job again is to opine and think about the different, um, the what ifs, I like to say that a good advisory board is probably going to ask you more questions than give you answers. So they're going to say, again, like my girlfriend, we were sitting down and talking about the impact of regulations on real estate. And again, her lawyer gave her all the specifics. What we did is she and I said, well, what if this happened? Okay, what would happen if this happened? 
Whereas a paid advisor's job is really to get it, roll up their sleeves and help you get the job done. They're, um, again, typically because there's a, uh, a financial transaction that's occurred, there's a, a probably more of a tactical or an implementation. Um, not always, because clearly you can hire a strategic advisory uh, company. Um, but I think, again, I think the difference is more of thought provoking questioning and more the an advisor is more of an answering. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it does. Um, so what, what are some things that might be unreasonable to expect of an advisory board? What, what might be trying to ask too much of them or taking it too far? Great question. And a lot of that goes back to the um, kind of the agreed upon terms, if you will, the compensation. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, and let me just, if I could just digress for a minute, one of the things that's so important if you're thinking about an advisory board is two things. The first one is, why do you want that? And you need to be very, I like to say, write it down. And the reason I say write it down is because it forces you to be very specific. So an example would be, I need an advisory board because there's so there's so much going on with sustainability I need to better understand how that impacts my business. And therefore, I want to bring in some experts from both ESG. I want to bring in some experts on these various things to help me better understand that. Um, go ahead. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious if you've seen the same thing. I, I think some I think some entrepreneurs or uh, managers, executives have been disappointed in the past with some of their experiences with advisory boards simply because I think they're hoping an advisory board could could fill a gap left by a fundamental weakness or hole in the company's management and um, uh, or in their in their professional advisors for that matter and and um, you know consequently they're they're asking people that to to, to fill a role where they they you know, I mean, if you want to try to hire them, hire them, but that's not that's the right role right for an advisory board to fill, is it? And that's exactly the point. I think for a couple of reasons. Number one is, again, it's unrealistic and it's, to be frank, it's, it's disrespectful to go to someone like you. If I were to go to you and Mike say, Mike, I really want you to be on my advisory board. And the first thing I do is say, Mike, can you do a full blown evaluation for me? It's disrespectful. It's kind of like when you have a party and your neighbor comes over and they're a dentist and you say, hey, what do I need to do with my teeth? I mean, that's just not it's not it's disrespectful. I think that part of it is defining exactly what you're looking for. But recognizing that the advisor advisor's role is really to advise. And again, I'm going to keep going back to this point. Ask questions. It's about the advisor's role is to say, have you thought about X? Have you thought about why? Not here is the answer to X or here's the answer to Y. If you want the answer to that and you want someone to go through and do, um, I don't want to say the heavy lifting, but you know, roll up your sleeves. You, you need to hire. You need to hire the um, hire someone for that role. And again, I, I'm sure you go to parties and people say, "So, Mike, what do you think my company's worth?" And it's fun for, over a cocktail to maybe you know spitball. But if they say, "No, no, give me specifically what it's worth," that's disrespectful. And that, whether you're an advisor, for someone to want that from you, they need to be prepared to pay you for that service. Um, and so to me, part of it is understanding exactly why you want the advisory board. 
recognizing that these are probably people in many cases, your advisors are people you probably couldn't pay to get on your board. They are in many cases, um, when I try to match advisors with, with companies, they're people that typically the CEO, even if they ever knew them, would never be able to get them on their board. And part of it's because we have a very specific definition of what I call the rules of engagement. And again, to the extent you can define those up front, agree on those up front, and even go so far to say, hey, Mike, I really want you on my advisory board because you've seen a lot about how the financial markets react to X, Y, Z. I'd love, I'm thinking about next steps and I'd love to have your guidance as we kind of think through the questions I should be asking. To me, that's a perfect role for an advisory board, which is very different from, hey, Mike, I really need you to tell me exactly what my company's worth and what are the three things I need to do to make it more uh, valuable. Does that distinction make kind of clear? Well, it does. And I'm, I'm, I'm also amused at the, I'm amused at the, the image of somebody asking me for advice and what their company might be worth as I'm, I'm literally holding a martini with three olives in my hand. <laughs> do, do you really want to make a $20 million decision with me in that state? You're not even paying me. <laughs> That's just, I don't know that you really want to go in that direction. <laughs> That's a great comment. I hear you. Um, so let me ask this. Is it, would it be crazy for a company to even have multiple advisory boards? If, you know, if maybe boards that are, that are, that have a specific discipline in which they're experts and you may just need separate resources. Great. That's a great question. I don't know if I have got a very good answer. Let me give you my initial thought of that. On the surface, I say absolutely, because, again, you might and you see this quite often with healthcare companies. They might want a technical board, which, again, helps them with really the technical. Again, I'm going to go back to questions. Right. Which is very different than like a customer advisory board. Many people have successfully brought in their customers. It's a chance to hear firsthand what customers think about not so much current product, but about the future product roadmap. Um. And again, that is, um, it's very possible that you could have multiple advisory boards. The thing that I would caution a CEO or especially a younger, and I don't mean younger in age, but younger in a tenure of the company to pull together is to really make an advisory board work. You've got to be prepared to spend some time on it. And let me tell you what I mean by that. And I'm not sure you could do that if you have multiple advisory boards. Does that make sense? It, it, it does. And let's go into that because I did want to ask that question because, yes. you know, what, what are the best practices to maximize the value out of the, out of the advisory board? I think that's probably the, one of the most important questions, if not the most. The first thing is, again, clearly define what you're looking for. And that includes when it's solved these couple issues. And I usually think it's the big issues that you don't have time to solve on a day to day basis at the company. Figure out the term. How long? I'm going to ask you guys. I'm going to try to get together once a quarter. I'm not going to try. We're going to have a meeting once a quarter. Here's the meetings. Let's go ahead and get the calendar set up at the first meeting. It's going to last for two years or your term is for two years. What I'm looking for you, Mike, to bring to the table is I want you to bring X, Y, Z to the table in terms of your thought process. That's what I'm looking for you to bring, which, by the way, I'm asking Karen to bring a different set of expertise, if you will. 
Then when you put that together, the most important thing is to make sure that you use the time diligently. That involves two things. The first thing it involves get information to the company directors or the advisors in advance. Typically, we actually even put together a this nonprofit that I've started actually put together we put together a binder, which basically you have to provide uh, some financial information, some customer information. Um, there's a set of of you know legal questions. So there's basically you put together your planning, if you will. You get that to your advisors in advance. And you say, these are the things I want to cover. I want to cover these two questions. And it's typically what I like to say is the things that keep the CEO up at late at night. What are the things, especially in your first meeting, what are the things, CEO, that keep that you really have a hard time sleeping because you were thinking about that? Get that meeting, get the board presentation put together in advance and run it as if it's a truly a board of directors meeting. And by that means, I mean, you make sure that if you start at a certain time, there's a formality to it. Um, and then you follow up with action items. And so that's important for two things, for two reasons. The first reason is it helps the CEO and the management team learn how to work with the board. Quite often, I use advisory boards as almost a intro before they get a fiduciary board. Um, we teach the discipline, the cadence of that. It teaches, again, it's great, especially if you own the company or it's closely held, it teaches you some accountability because even though the board can't fire you, I don't know about you, Mike, but when I've been in advisory board meetings and somebody asks me a question and I have a bad answer, I feel accountable. <laughs> so yeah. I think I think the board of advisors, if you can run it in that way, it teaches tremendous accountability. Um, and then I think the other thing is, even when your board advisors have um, left the board and moving on to other things, keep them um, keep them abreast of what they've done, how they've helped you. I so appreciate you starting this call today saying, you know, Karen, something you told me years ago has really stuck with me. I can't tell you how good that makes me feel. And you'll find that your advisors, again, people that you didn't think you could ever get as a uh, as a advisor. You can get them and keep them if you are diligent about keeping in track with them. Don't just call them when you need them. Have that formalized um, meeting schedule. Follow up with meetings. And even after they've gone to on to other things, say, hey, uh, one of my favorite ones is uh, I was able to get the CIO of the Southern Company, uh, again, a very high position into a company that was literally $20 million in revenue. This person would have never joined that. To this day, they still speak positively about it because to this day, the CEO continued to give them updates. So that's the kind of, I think, the right way to structure an advisory board. It's the right way to get the most value from it. And it's the right way to truly, and back to the Steve Jobs comment, it really helps that CEO and the executive team grow and grow into their next level, helps them grow to be a better executive. Um, and then hopefully at some point they'll be in a position to give that expertise back to a younger, if you will, uh, CEO or executive team. So there's so much to unpack there. And there are two things I, I kind of want to, I do want to unpack. One, the thing you just mentioned, which I hadn't really thought of, but it makes all the sense in the world now that you articulate it. And, and that is that <clears throat> there's a long tail element to an advisory board if done right, particularly if the company's successful, if it's not, it's not so great. 
right? But but there there is this unique opportunity to develop to develop relationships that that could theoretically help you for the life of your company, even over the life of your career. So well said, and I love the word long tail. That is so correct. And I've seen it again and again when you when you watch these relationships that form again and quite often. I mean, if, if you're one of the companies that got a huge amount of money at a ridiculous valuation, you may not have the challenges to get that A plus team. But for most entrepreneurs and you and I might know most entrepreneurs don't end up with that hundred million dollar out of the gate um, um, cash infusion. And so for them to be able to get great talent. Sometimes the best way to get is advisory board. And if you go in there and say, again, Mike, this is what I need. I would be honored if you would consider being my advisory board. I'm only going to ask you to sit in on four meetings a year. I'm going to bring in two or three other great people. And here's who I'm thinking about bringing in, Mike. I know you like those people. And oh, by the way, I'm only going to ask 25 hours or 30 hours of your time per year because each board meeting is going to be four hours. and I'm going to give you four hours to prepare for it. Wow. Who's going to say no to that? And that leads into the other part of this that I wanted wanted to unpack because you 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 said one thing which I'm gonna I'm gonna take slight issue with and I think you're gonna agree with it the way I frame it in that um, I actually think I actually think an advisory board can fire a CEO because you can just decide look this person doesn't have their stuff together and I'm not making an impact and I'm gonna place I'm gonna put my time someplace else and. I don't know about you, but there have been a couple of boards that I've agreed to be on that I, I wound up regretting because the founders simply didn't use us very well. They didn't they didn't give us information in advance um, uh, or the things they said they were going to do between meeting one and, and meeting two never seemed to get done. Um, and, and again, if that's happening, then why are we doing this? Right. And, and so, you know, I do think there is there is, you know, there is a, a need for a founder or a, a CEO to be mindful that, you know, the, the board is there, the board, that advisory board, even if you're compensating them, they're not making so much money on that board that they're going to stick around just for money. Right. Exactly. They are going to walk away. If you don't sort of have your stuff together and take that seriously. That's you're exactly, you're right. I am absolutely agree with you on that one. And again, especially in a city like Atlanta, which I think is just a very, friendly and people, the entrepreneurs, I mean, excuse me, the, um, the folks that have been there, done that, I find so many cases are willing to give back, but they're only willing to give back if, as you said, they're respected, their time is respected, and the CEO is truly learning and becoming a better CEO because of the advisory board. And, and I think that's, you know, and I think that takes a certain kind of mindset. You know, in, in my experience, I've been on a, I've walked into a couple of boards where to me, it became clear the CEO was looking more for validation right. than, than they were for guidance. And, uh, you know, that some people maybe, maybe want to do that. That is not my bailiwick to just provide validation for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> or just gratuitous validation. And I don't think you're really about that either. No, I'm not. Let's I know you can dish out the tough ahead. love. <laughs> you can just put some cool thing on social media and get lots of millions of likes, and that's the value that validation you need. 100% agreed. If you really want to use an advisory board, you've got to use them, and you've got to respect them, and you've got, again, part of it, part of what I think is so good about starting with an advisory board is it really teaches you the process. So it's the process of thinking about spending some amount of time 
because if you know you're going to have your advisory board meeting next Tuesday, then you're thinking, okay, what are the big issues? How it causes you to get outside of the urgent. It causes you to think about the important. It causes you to get prepared and being prepared for somebody else means you're prepared for yourself. So when I think about all the positives, again, I am surprised people don't use. I'm surprised every company doesn't use advisory board because if you really want to get better and you're coachable, to me, it makes all the sense in the world. And, and you think about it, there's some business models out there where some, some companies pay quite handsomely to have a board of some kind. You know, the, For example, these peer advisory boards. And, and I'm not saying anything against them, by the way. I'm, I think in certain cases, they had quite a bit of value. Um, but there are companies that pay $100,000 a year to have a peer advisory board. But you know, in some cases, I, I wonder if they need to actually do that. If they were you know, a little bit more diligent about their networking or simply willing to make the ask, they might be able to, to, to have that board, have a very competent board advise them for a lot less than they're paying. That's a great comment. And again, I think there's a great role, uh, a great role and a great um, a- application for peer advisory. But I always look at, and you're, you're, you and I are both visual people, so you'll get this. I think a peer advisory board is a bunch of little sparrows, baby sparrows in the nest, and the mom's trying to feed them all, and they're all saying, feed me, feed me, because everybody wants attention. And hmm. it's difficult, again, and so it's it's very valuable because, again, as when you and I are both CEOs, we're, we're struggling. There's some things that we're all, there's camaraderie. And for that, I think it's a brilliant idea. But I think I will go on record to say a peer advisory group, in my estimation, if you're trying to really grow as a CEO with an external board, it's best for the board to be focused on you as opposed to you and all your 10 or 11 or 15 other, you know, baby uh, birds that are trying to be fed at the same time. It's not in any way suggesting that the, that CEOs are that way, but you can get the picture of everybody saying, feed me, feed me. Whereas if you've got your own advisory board, they're all about how can I feed Mike? What can I do to make sure Mike's healthy? I like the sound of that. (laughs) Um, So I'm, you know, I think we've made a pretty compelling case for the value of an advisory board. And some of our listeners now are thinking, well, how do I, how do I start to put this together? What, how do you, what, in your mind, what's, what's a good, a good process for starting to recruit and assemble this advisory board? Great. So I think first off, the first thing I would do is again, in your quiet time, in your quiet space, what exactly am I trying to accomplish? And you need to get real with yourself because if you're fortunate enough to be able to pull together an advisory board that really is top-notch uh, executives, people that you really admire, they're very quickly going to get tired if all it is is about reaffirm how smart I am or reaffirm how cool I am because I got Mike Blake to join my board. That's not what is that. Think about really what you're trying to accomplish. Make sure you're prepared to commit the time because I think the long-term value is, uh, again, I've seen it. I can give you example after example of companies that, um, that I've watched that bring out an advisory board and I've watched just the, the, the growth, the progress, and even the CEO themselves. But make sure that you really know what you're trying to accomplish. Make sure you're prepared to spend the time for it. And then based on that, say, okay, what then are the skill sets I'm looking for? 
And part of that then is, again, and it's so much more when I'm being asked to be an advisor, when someone comes to me and says, hey, Karen, I need you to be an advisor because I know that you're pretty open about talking about your failure as a CEO and what you would have done differently. I want to learn from that. That's very different example than somebody says, hey, Karen, I've read about you in the press. I want you to be my advisory board. Mm. You see, it's very different. So when I can come to you and Mike and say, Mike, I want would like you to I would ask you to consider being on my advisory board. I'm trying to accomplish this. Um, I'm looking for X amount of hours per year. And by the way, the reason I want you, Mike, specifically is because of the experience you've had with X, Y or Z. That's to me a compelling argument. Then you need to think about, okay, how do I compensate them? Now, everybody thinks if I'm going to get, um, you know, the a C-suite executive or a successful entrepreneur, I'll have to pay them a lot of money. But as you said yourself, farewell, Mike, they don't need your money. You're, you can't pay, you cannot pay person enough, someone of that caliber to make it worth their while. They, most times people will give to the advisory boards, will uh, be available to be an advisor is because they really want to see the CEO or the company succeed. They want, maybe they believe in the mission. Um, maybe they just believe that, you know, I want to hang around with other really cool people like Mike, because that to me is it'd be fun to be for Mike and I to, together to strategize about this company. Um, so once you've got those and you've identified who you want, the skills you're looking for, what you're trying to accomplish, then, uh, you know, I would, I think a, absolutely either through a third party or reach out to that person and say, Hey, I'd really love for you to be, uh, I'd consider being an advisor. Here's what, why, how much money typically uh, early stage companies, you're going to pay some equity and it's typically in the, some sort and some, and again, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't want to go down the, the legal issues, but you typically, there's some warrants or some options that are based on some sort of timing or performance. Um, sometimes uh, it's, it's a, a cash. And quite often what I'll do is say, Hey, give some money to my, a certain charity. So, um, and that makes everybody feel good. Um, at a, sometime it's just going to and having a board meeting at a really cool place. Um, and you know, whether it's a round of golf or, uh, you know, a sailing adventure or fishing for the day, whatever it might be quite often a board member will agree to be uh, an advisor just for that, um, that fun experience. But again, the most important thing I think is being very clear with yourself, your executive team and the board member of the expectations on both sides. And that, of course, includes comp- uh, compensation. Is there an optimum size in your mind for how many how many members a board might have? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think it should be uh, it should be an odd number. Um, I and I think it could be no more than probably seven at the most. If you're an early stage company, probably no more than three. Um, and I think part of that is, again, your your purpose in doing this is just to get some vigorous discussion going, some debate going, some um, strategizing. And I think when it's too big, especially when you've got some high profile people, um, you know, they kind of want their voice to be heard. And I'm not sure that if you had, you know, um, chief sales officers or CIOs or even ex- uh, established executives that they're going to want to be in a meeting where there's six other people that are chirping um, for their 
comment. So I think for a couple of reasons, it's easier to manage. Probably three to five is what I think is probably the best. And and how often how often does it do most advisory boards meet in your experience? Well, I think it's once a quarter. I've heard people say once a month, but again, at some point, it feels like I'm trying to get your expertise free. If I have a meeting every single month, then part of me feels like, wait a second, <laughs> you know, if you want to pay me to do consulting for you, I'm happy to do that. That's why I feel once a quarter feels right. I've heard some people do it once, uh, once every six months, but I think once a quarter um, just feels right to me. Again, a three to four hour meeting with either a dinner or a lunch, maybe an afternoon of golf or whatever, um, just feels right. And most executives um, say, you know what? I'm prepared to commit that amount of time to a young entrepreneur that I believe in. I'm talking with Karen Robinson Cope, and the topic is, should I form a company advisory board? Um, uh, just a couple more questions before we uh, let, let you go and, and help, some other, help some other companies. I know that you're, you're advising. But um, one question I have is, you know, let, let's say somebody out there, in fact, it's a certainty, somebody in our audience is listening right now. Maybe they have an advisory board, but they don't feel like it's working that well. It's not clicking. They'd like to have one, but for whatever reason, they're just not getting the value out of it. How would you, what questions would you ask that person to diagnose kind of what, what may or may not be wrong or dysfunctional with that advisory board? Great question. And boy, let me think about that. I think one thing is if you're, if the CEO or the executive team is not seeing the results, then my guess is you probably have some frustrated um, board members as well. Um, and so I think that's a good sign. Um, I would ask, I would go back to again, and hopefully it's been written down what, um, what the goal of the advisory board is. And I would go back and say, let's talk about this. Why or why not? Is it the wrong goal? Is it the wrong people? Is it the wrong um, subtopics we're talking about? Um, I think going back to the preparation Again, if if in fact you're running your advisory board meeting as just as if you would a true fiduciary board, you're going to have actually at the preparation for the meeting, you're going to have notes at the meeting, you're going to have follow-up. And if the follow-up's not occurring, then again, you need to say, why not? Why or why not? Um, so I think those are a couple things. It's funny, uh, and if I could just take a, just a moment to digress, uh, Mike. Um, I started something called Co Council of Board Advisors, which is, again, a 501c3. Um, I was a judge for the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year for a, a number of years. And I was surprised because part of the process, and this is, again, the, um, this is the you know, gold standard for entrepreneurial business you know, companies and so forth success, sure. and one of the first ones. And I was surprised because every year when I would, part of the process, you literally get to sit down and talk to the management team. And I was surprised again and again when I'd see these great companies that look so good on paper, but then you start to drill down and you realize, wow, there's some really some cracks underneath this veneer, if you will. And let me give you an example. One company I remember in particular, they, they were uh, an entrepreneur. They were a finalist and we were talking to them. And then they said afterwards, they said, Karen, can you help me? I'm having some cash flow problems. I think I just need a short term note. If I just a short term loan would fix this. And when I started, again, not telling them anything, just asking them questions, it was clear it was not a 
cash flow issue. They had a strategy issue. They had no customer diversification. They're clearly, I mean, their their products were became obsolete quickly. So there was a, just a number of strategy issues. But this great company on the surface had thought they had a cash flow problem. That got me thinking. And I said, boy, I don't even know anything about this industry. But I was able to help this company just asking some questions. So I started something called Council Board Advisors. At the same time, I had a group of my executive friends who, once they sold their company or retired with their big pensions, they would go to Florida because Florida has no taxes and Florida has great weather. And I said, we need to somehow figure out a way to keep these executives engaged. They didn't want to give full time that they did not want to be in a, um, you know, a startup company. They didn't want to be hit up for money all the time. The CEO said, boy, I'd like to get some help, but I don't know what to do. So I put this process together where we do get great companies that are coachable, typically five million to one hundred fifty million, which is a pretty big range. But they were coachable CEOs, profitable companies that were kind of at a stalemate. And I'd match them, talking to them and saying, hey, what are the things that keep you up at night? And then find uh, find advisors for them that really fit their needs. And again, we were able to get the one of my favorite advisors is one of a well-known executive here in town who was the president of one of the fastest growing companies in America. He had sold a company. He was kind of, he was tired of playing golf and he said, I don't want to get involved. So I'm doing the business, but I'd sure like to get in and opine. And it's just been a great experience. We've probably helped. I don't want to guess how many companies, but that's what got me so excited about this whole advisory board because it is coming into view. It is becoming more important. And I think people are realizing the real need for it. Karen, I'm, I'm glad you, you did. I was going to give you an opportunity to mention your nonprofit. So I'm glad you did that because it's, it's important that people know this resource is out there and, 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 and what you're doing. Um, we could have easily had another hour in this conversation, but unfortunately <laughs> our time is, our time is running out. There are probably questions we either didn't cover or might have covered more depth for somebody. If, if somebody is listening, has, an, has a question they'd like to ask you and follow up, can they do so? And if so, what's the best way for them to contact you? Oh, thank you again. I appreciate it. And I always love talking with you. And I just, you know, kind of hit myself because we should we've let too much time pass. But I'd be delighted to help in any way. There's a number of some good organizations. Um, I actually put my nonprofit under uh, Ty, the Indus Entrepreneur, which is a, a great world uh, worldwide uh, entrepreneur organization. And we've got a very successful program where we work with, you know, these great companies. If someone wants to call me, um, I'm more than happy. K Robinson, K-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N at Mara 6. By the way, Mara after the Masai Mara and our daughter's middle name, Alexandra Mara Cope. So it's uh, K Robinson at Mara, M-A-R-A, the number six dot com. And I'm more than happy to, you know, opine, give some free <laughs> advice. <laughs> And again, um, anything I can do to help, because I really do believe that the Atlanta community is becoming so fulsome and so exciting. But we clearly need to make sure that we can give guidance to these entrepreneurs and these companies as as they go to the next level. Yeah, we definitely we need to send the elevator back down. But I think the good news is, at least as long as I've been here, about 20 years or so, I think Atlanta has been a town that does that. And Yes. Hopefully for our listeners that are in other areas of the country or the world, really, that they have, they can find communities like that as well. Absolutely. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Karen Robinson-Cope so much for sharing her expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. 
So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.